Stay standing with me for just one more moment. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites. One of my, if I had five favorite passages of Scripture, this is one of them. It's Romans 8, 28-29. And it says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You may have a seat. I'm Pastor Chris, by the way, if you're here for the first time or tuning in online for the first time, good to have you with us. Next week, I want to give you a heads up. Next week, Pastor Rigo is going to be preaching the message that he was supposed to preach last week that got canceled because of the heat being out in this building. And then the following week, we are going to be starting a brand new series called As Told by a Scoundrel. Encounters with Jesus in the book of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was known as a scoundrel. And so we're going to be doing a series through the book of Matthew. That starts in two weeks. But today we're continuing a series called Anchored uh, that we've been in since the beginning of the year. We're just pausing to remember God's story and where we fit into it. And so what I'm going to do today is just going to talk for a few minutes about this passage, one of my favorites. And then we're going to watch a video testimony that kind of goes along with what I'm going to be talking about. So Romans 8, 28, this be 28 to 29. <laughs> um, I want to read this again. I, I, wanna, I want us to just, um, actually let me just back up. Let me, let me, let me set the stage here for us. Um, give us a blank uh, uh, slide, will you please, Jeff? Um, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it's a promise. And it's a promise for me. And it's a promise for me that nothing can get in the way of. Like there's really nothing that can get in the way of this. I mean, look, what it, look what, again what, what it says here. It, it says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. If it's all things, then that means nothing can get in the way of it. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say, you know, there's a few things that work. It's all things. When you look it up in Greek, you know what it means? It means all things. It means everything. It's good and the bad that happens to us. The bad that's inflicted on us by other people. Anybody have any bad things inflicted on, on you from others? And it also includes your own mistakes and screw-ups. Anybody have some mistakes and screw-ups that they're dealing with right now? Consequences? Yeah. It includes all things. Everything. The, the, where you grew up. Whether you had two parents or one parent. All things is all things, whether you're educated or not, whether you have a job or not. It's all things, married, single, all things is all things, and God causes all things to work together. Now, when it says causes all things to work together, that work together, that has the idea of being summed up together. So, so in other words, it, it doesn't mean that all things on their own are good, and you should see them as good. That's not what it's saying. If somebody was to say, Chris and Jess, my wife, work really good together, that does not mean necessarily that I work really well on my own or that she works really well. What they're saying is Chris and Jess work good when they're working together, right? Think about it in terms of math. Two plus three equals five, right? That doesn't mean that two on its own equals five or that three on its own, it's summed up. They equal five. Well, what this is saying is that all things are summed up by God for good. But on its own, it may not necessarily be good. And we don't have to walk around saying, you know, shallow spiritual platitudes to each other. 
When you lose your job, that's bad. That sickness, that's bad. That childhood abuse, that's bad. And we can call it bad and we can mourn with each other. There's bad news that happens constantly. And we don't have to pretend like it's good. Addiction, bad, right? We can say it. It's bad. But what this is promising is that all things will be summed up by God to work together for good. Now, what is the good? What is the good that he is referring to? Let's look at What's underlined there? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, that's God foreknowing, that he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. To be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. That's the good that he's talking about in verse 28. All things work together for good. What's that good? To be conformed to the image of his son. It's not necessarily circumstantial good. You know, you lose your job. This doesn't mean that God's got a better job waiting for you around the corner. Now that might be true. And we pray it's true. You lose your job recently. We pray that's true. But that's not what this is promising. What this is promising is that no matter what happens, all things will be caused by God to work together for your good, which is to make you more and more and more like Jesus. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So that there would be more and more of us coming behind Jesus who look like Jesus. Little Christs, that's what the word Christian means, little Christs. God is at work to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus. That's what he is about. That's his grand plan for you and I, is to make us more and more like Jesus, more trusting of God, more patient and humble, more at peace, more at joy in this crazy world. Having a peace that can't be shaken when difficulties come our way. Less offended. Eat quicker to forgive. That's what God is after. That's the good that God is up to. On one condition. On one condition. This promise is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Look what it says. Look at verse 28 again. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what he's who's for. Now it doesn't say those whom God loves. God loves everybody. God loves every single person in the world, but not the entire world loves God. Not the entire world wants God's purpose for them. Not the entire world accepts God's offer of forgiveness and, and being reconciled to him through Jesus. A lot of people say, no, 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 I don't want that, God. I don't want that. And so those who reject that, this won't be for them. Because they're rejecting God and they're rejecting his purpose and they're rejecting what Jesus purchased for them. And so this would promise wouldn't be for them. Not all of us are adopted into his family. Unless, unless, unless what God is up to is actually in the process of drawing some people who are not yet in his family, who have not yet said yes to him, Unless he is at work drawing them to himself, trying to woo them, trying to soften their heart towards him. Because that's what God is up to as well. He's up to, for those who are in his family, he's making them more and more like Jesus. And for those who are not in his family, he's up to trying to get them in his family to make them more and more like Jesus. 
And he uses the prayers of their friends and their co-workers and the people that they go to school with. He uses their prayers who are saying, God, do something in so-and-so's life. Get a hold of their heart. Let them see you for who you are. He uses the desperate, audacious, bold prayers of family members, of sons and daughters, of mothers and fathers, to work all things to get them into his family and then to work all things to make them more and more like Jesus. That's the good that God is up to. That's his grand purpose for you and I and for some of you here today. Uh, God might be after you to get you in his family. And for others of you who are already in his family, you need to remember this so that when difficulty comes, the fire that we just sang about, that we all go through, that you can praise him through it and say, God... I'm remembering and I'm trusting that you're at work in this, making me more and more like Jesus. This past week, I, I read a passage of, uh, from Acts 16 with my daughter Tessa about when Paul, the Apostle Paul and Silas were put in prison for their faith. And right away it says at midnight, they're shackled up, they're shackled to the wall, bodies all contorted. It says they're singing hymns and praises to God. That's got to be our response. God, you're up to something good here because there's nothing that can stop your purpose. Think about that promise. There's nothing. Nothing that happens to us will not be filtered through God's purpose of, I'm going to use this for their good too. Whatever the devil throws at you, God's like, I'm going to use that for their good. I'm going to use that for their good too. And that, and that, and that, and that. So before I close my message, we're going to turn our attention to the screen for a video testimony of God doing just that this past year in 2021. So take a look. Twenty twenty one, I was living with my brother in a little like Harper. I was working a factory job to pay like for the lifestyle I was living. In the morning, my daily routine, like pretty much like every day, I smoked weed right away. Uh, sometimes I would drink. Then I would go to work. Most nights, I would like prep and buy like alcohol, put it in my car, um, hide it under my seat, and then just drink it on the way home. Pretty much the only time where I was like in a good mood or like happy was when I was high. I had no relationship with God. It was like non-existent. Didn't even think about it. I I knew like I said I was a Christian. Like I was raised in a Christian house, and like we did devotions growing up. Um, like they raised me right, but I just never like fully like developed a relationship with God at all or Jesus. So Evan's always had a uh, really sweet nature. Um, he's always been wanting to please, and anytime there was conflict, he usually would own um, anything that he'd done wrong, at least to our face. Um, and on the other hand, he had a very um, obsessive personality. Anytime you held a Batman, it had to be in the right position. Um, and if it wasn't that way, it would upset him. Um, he would um, get obsessed with video games and play into all hours of the night. Then in the last few years, he got obsessed with uh, vaping and, and marijuana um, along with his older brother. The first time we found it, we sat them down and talked to them and, you know, appealed to their heart. And then we said that if we find it again, it'll be a, a $250 fine. Because in the real world with adults, when you do something wrong, <clears throat> you get fined. And at 20 years old, there's not a lot you can do to discipline 
So, and discipline for us is a hard issue. So we were hoping that would deter them. Um, and we found it again, and then we did another, it was a $250 fine, then the second time would be a $500 fine, and then the last time was moving out. And then the fifth time when we found the, the drugs we had, that was, he, he knew. When we, I found it, I said, you know what this means? And he's like, yep, I guess I'm gonna go. At that point, my prayer life was uh, weak at best. I had watched a few years ago a little girl in our church pass away unexpectedly. But before that, there were prayer chains going out with thousands of people praying for this little girl. And I felt at that time very confident that she was, she was going to be healed. And when she wasn't, my entire kind of, I guess, belief in prayer just crashed. So when Evan was going through all this, I prayed um, for strength. I prayed generic prayers that he that he would turn around, that he would remember, you know, who he loved and who he served. And but otherwise, I didn't pray for anything specific. And I I, may, I mainly was still nagging a lot, thinking that I could fix him. It was me worrying about how to how to fix him. My prayer life was, I'd say, intermittent at best. Um, when I would pray, it would be high level generalities. You know, help them make the right choices, mm -hmm. um, protect them, keep them safe. But, you know, and certainly Amy and I, through the years, have never really had a great prayer life. Um, and this certainly highlighted that for us. So March 31st, I had off. I drank a whole bottle of THC in the morning. Like liquid THC was a, was a heavy dosage. Knocked me out all day. And then it was something I'd never experienced before. Like the next day at work, I woke up feeling drunk. It was basically like I was drunk. My senses were all off. I couldn't talk straight. They called the supervisors on me, like check on me. Cause they, they could tell something was off. And I remember calling my brother like midday, like saying, uh, on lunch break, I was like, I think I'm gonna get fired. Like they know I'm messed up. I don't know what's wrong. I didn't smoke today. Later that night, I stay in the bathroom until everybody leaves. Usually we all leave together. I was like, just so scared. Like what's wrong with me? What did I do to my brain? I had a shooter in my car too. I took a shooter before I left on the road. I thought like that would maybe help. <laughs> so I took more, I, I just drank alcohol. Um, but on the way home, I was freaking out, swerving. I didn't know where I was going. I couldn't even like get home. I, I called my mom like panicking, like I need help. I don't know what I did to myself. I was actually in Maryland with Avery a couple hours, three hours away. And I got the first phone call around nine from Evan which was unusual because he didn't call me. Um, and when he called, he was in a hysteria. Didn't know where he was and would I help, could I help him, that he couldn't breathe, that he, um, he couldn't drive. And he said he was swerving, he was on the parkway and he was swerving. And I, my main thought was I have to get him off the road. He has to get off the road. I didn't know any reason why this was happening. He called me back again at 9.30, worse. He was crying and sobbing and begging for me to help him. I called his brother and said, Evan needs help, he's going, um, he's on his way home, but he doesn't know where he is, um, and he, he just needs to take care of him and get him to bed. I get there, they're like, what's good? I'm like, I don't know, like something's not right. And then he was like, you know what, we just, we got, we'll just smoke more weed. So we smoked more weed. Um, I did mushrooms that night, and then I drank more alcohol. So I was like, pretty much on three drugs. And then we were just chilling on the couch. We were like, okay, let's go play some Mario Kart. Um, we sat down, it was all going good, and then all of a sudden I got up, couldn't breathe. I honestly, a little bit after that was a blur, but I remember some of the night apparently I was like running outside, I was taking my shirt off, like I kept trying to go outside and breathe, like, like he would try, my brother would try and like bring me back inside because I was like, trying to run away, like he was afraid I was gonna hurt myself. I got a phone call at one, around 1.30 from Jonathan, his older brother, who was hysterical 
um, saying that Evan was out of control, was trying to leave the house, was trying to drive away, was um, out of his mind. His heart rate was rapid, his, um, his breathing was rapid, and he didn't know what to do, and I, and he, so he wanted me to talk to him. I, t I prayed with him, told him he was okay, he wasn't gonna die, he was all right, he just needed to stay in the house. The next phone call was from his Jonathan's girlfriend, um, and I hear screaming in the background. I hear sirens and Jonathan screaming, saying, um, Evan just dove headfirst through the 20 foot, um, through the window, 20 feet off the ground. This is the second floor. Um, it was a house on stilts. Head first out the window. Jonathan said, I, I don't know if he's alive. I don't know what I'm gonna find. Jonathan said it was like I was possessed. I like, I jumped, I stood up out of the chair, like just staring at the window. And I just jumped onto my bed, dove through the window, like with my head, like kind of like that. Like Superman dived through it. He had fallen on Nicole's car, on the girlfriend's car, who never parks where she parked. She parked halfway under the, the deck, so the back half of the car was out under the deck. And the paramedic said, he shouldn't be alive. They didn't know how he lived, but if the car hadn't been there, he would have not lived or he would have been severely disabled. I was like, I might be dead right now. This might be the afterlife because I, you know, I just fell down to the ground. I was like, I don't know how I'm alive. There's no way I'm alive. So I got in my car. I like just scrambled. I saw my car in front of me. I scrambled to it. Um, I got in the driver's seat. My brother luckily ran down the stairs after me, jumped in the passenger door. And when the paramedics got there, um, at that point, I'm on the phone with Jonathan. Jonathan's straddling him in the car. In my state, I was like, not right. So I was like, they're trying to take me away. They're gonna transport me to hell. That's what I was thinking. The paramedics had to strap him onto the board and he was violent. He punched one of them. They handcuffed me, uh, like detained me, put me on the table, like locked me in for like secure. At that moment of not knowing, is he gonna live? Is he gonna be, brain damaged, what did he take, what is, what is causing this, and... I get a phone call in the middle of the night. At first I think I said, oh, are, you, are you serious? What do you mean you went, I need to go to Atlantic City? <laughs> so I drove down, got ready as fast as I could, drove down. Um, Evan was laying on a, um, a, you know, a gurney when I got there. Put my hand on his arm, told him he was gonna be okay. I was surprised, given the description, it kind of, that he wasn't bloodied, he was, it was a disconnect for me. I mean, how could he have fallen from a second story of a, you know, a loft house and not be more injured? They get me to the hospital, they run the x-rays, the CAT scans on me, everything comes back okay, no, no broken bones. They said I had a bad concussion, just had a bunch of glass in me pretty much, I had glass in my hands, my face, my back, my legs. And then I was ushered out and really, that was the start of Amy and I knowing that we had lost all control in the situation. And I, I was still in Maryland, so that morning, as soon as we checked out the hotel, my main thought was, I just have to get, I have to get back. I have to get a hold of the hospital. I have to find out what is going on, and we couldn't get answers. Whoever the front desk was, she finally, I said, I'm going to come there, and you're going to have to arrest me if you don't find a way to let me talk to him. So she took the phone, and she went into his room with, the, with a cordless phone, I guess, and that was the first time I spoke to Evan. It was probably one of the worst moments for me because he's still my baby, and he was, pleading with me to get him out, to help him. And 
that was the, the second that I changed my prayer life. I would just hit the floor on my knees and just sobbing and just crying out for God. No words, just, and then he and I start praying. And I said, he has to, he needs a Christian nurse. He needs Christian nurses. He needs to have somebody that's ministering to him. He needs to, and so I started immediately, we started immediately praying, Lord, please send him someone that is a Christian that can pray with him. One of the nurses was a Christian nurse, like the first one. She prayed with me. She could tell I was like, not okay. She prayed with me. She was like, God's here. He's with you. Which was cool is my parents later told me they prayed like that God would provide me with Christian nurses and people in that that would like make me not feel alone. So she called on her personal phone, called us from hers, and she said, I'm going to pray with him. I'm going to take his phone up and charge it on my personal charger, and I won't leave him. I'm going to stay here until his phone's charged enough for him to have a charge. Even though she was off, it's just in her unit. And she sat with him, and she prayed with him, and she got an iPad so we could FaceTime him and see him. They were, had told him he was going to be transferred to the, the short-term facility, and Which he was super... Agitated, but at that moment, I was angry. I'd been praying that he was going to be let out. So it was once again, my prayer was, he's not going to be transferred. God, you're not going to let this happen. You can't let this happen. He needs to be let out. Um, we didn't find out till later that he was surrounded by SWAT teams. They were in black SWAT gear and, they, and, he, had, and he had riot gear. And he had really no idea where he was going. And neither did we at that moment. I had started a new um, life group about a month prior for moms that were praying scripture over their kids. And, which was out of my comfort zone at the time. And, but I had actually started praying very specifically. And I think it was from one of the sermons that about being audacious in your prayers and being bold and being specific. So in that prayer group, I'd started praying specifically for him that something would happen in his life that he would not be able to not see God's hand in it. That was my prayer. Something specific would happen that he would see God's direct intervention in his life. I had no idea what that was going to look like, but that's what my prayer had been. So the psych ward uh, was a pretty awakening experience for me. It was the first time where I saw God like actually like perform miracles in front of my eyes, and like I could feel His presence like around me. When I was finally able to talk to him, he was hysterical, and I uh, said, "This place is so scary." And I and I for some reason instantly just said, "You need a Bible." Because you're, you're there and there, what are you going to do all of that time? There's no TV, there's no... I said, you need a Bible. You need to put your mind in the Word. You need a Bible. And we found out they had no Bibles in this facility. They had recently they taken had all, all hospitals. Bibles. I asked one of the nurses for a Bible. They said they didn't have a Bible. They said they don't have Bibles in here. And then one of the patients came up to me. He was like, I have this, uh, this Psalms and New Testament Bible. You can have it if you want. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I took it from him, walked back to my room. I was like, whoa, that just happened. <laughs> I was like, some random patient just gave me a Bible out of nowhere, like didn't even hear like when I was asking the nurse. I called and I got a hold of him and he's like, mom, someone just walked by and lifted up their shirt because they had like hospital issued clothing. And he said, and he had a little Bible, it was like contraband. He's like, you want this? So I got back to my room, started reading the Bible for the first time in like years. And like the verses were just standing out to me. I couldn't, I can't remember the verses were, but they were like popping out. So yeah, our prayers, last time he said, were find someone that is, that can minister to him because we know he, he has no ability to do that on his own. Let him be able to see and hear you. Let him um, obviously protect him. And there was this man sitting at the end of the hall. Um, I had never met him before. His name was Bruce. He was just sitting down by a window and I was like, something in me was telling me to go sit next to him. 
And he was like, what's that in your hand? And I was like, it's, it's the Bible. He was like, he's like, do you want to read it with me? I was like, yeah. He prayed with me. He, yeah, I can't remember the prayer, but it was pretty amazing. I was like crying. He was like, God's with you. Um, you're never too far to come back to God. You can come in any time in your life. It's like, wow, God's real. He had a concussion this whole time, a severe concussion. He wasn't being attended to from a medical perspective. They just had, you know, weekend staff. It was a holiday weekend. Um, so that we started to pray for that. The one nurse was like, she opened the curtains. It was like super bright. My head was pounding. I couldn't like, it was killing me at that point. And then she was like, do we want their curtains open today? Is everybody good? And then Jorge looked at me this other random patient I never met before, and he was like, no, nah, we want them closed. So he got up, closed the blinds for me, like, so it was dark in there, which was like another, like, it was basically like, God, like, there, like, I got you. Um, it was crazy, because like, after that, my head was good. Like, I was in a lot of pain before that, when it was like bright in the room. Um, he had said, when I got a hold of him that morning, he and asked him about the night, and he said, there's people pacing the hallways all night. He said, but they're angels. They're my angels. And he wasn't making sense. I didn't understand. And I, he's like, my roommate is freaked out by these people and wants them to leave. And he's punched a hole in the wall like he's angry, which all of this that he's telling me is scaring me. And he's like, but they're my angels. They, I felt safe. We found out later that those, some of those same people were the people ministering to him. Monday morning, Evan was at, in such a peace and seeing God work, like he wanted to continue to minister to the. He his said, "I'm roommate. not ready. I can't leave my roommate." I said, "God is going to take care of your roommate. God can handle your roommate. You need to want out. You need to get out." And the social worker said, "I'll call you back. I'm going to go talk to Evan." And, um, and before she, I guess after she talked to Evan, she hadn't called me back. But I got a hold of Evan, and he said, "Well, I'm going to tell her that I'm not ready to leave yet." <laughs> and, we're on speakerphone with Evan, and we're like, don't you, don't, no, 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 you can't tell him that. You, you are ready. You, you have to be ready. And well, you didn't yeah. tell her that yet, did you? And he's like, it's, it's going to be okay, Mom. It's going to be, and now he's telling us that it's going to be okay. So then we found out that Evan went back to his room, because all these conversations were in the hallway. Um, they weren't up, they didn't have rooms, any phones in the rooms. So he had gone back to his room to see his, his roommate, and he said that this guy Jorge was in the room with his roommate, kind of talking to him. Um, and said, Evan said when he saw that, that they were, you know, having this, you know, peaceful conversation, he said he felt a peace that he could leave. That day that he was getting out, he said those six people that were roaming the hallways were waiting to be discharged that day also. We, we didn't really we didn't connect all the Connect dots. all of that. But the I, friend that she had asked to pray for her had sent, sent her something about angels were guardian angels guardian are surrounding. Angels. And that's what he kept saying to me. My guardian angels are here with me. I'm so I'm okay. The guardian angels are with me. Yeah, it was <laughs> either God working with with patients or it was, it was guardian angels, one of the two. It wasn't coincidence. Clearly evident to Amy and I that weekend that God was making himself evident both to us and to Evan in such a drastic way. All right, so that whole like experience really made me realize like that I don't have to chase drugs anymore or a high to fulfill me. It was like after that experience, I was like, I want to devote my life to Jesus and live for him. After Evan got out, he was uh, completely changed, 180 degrees. So excited to be home, loving. He started to do things that he had never done. So he was trying to develop relationships with his brothers and, and ministering to his youngest brother, Brennan, and you know, kind of apologizing to the things that they had tortured Brennan with through the years. And, <laughs> telling Brennan that, you know, he's such a strong, 
<laughs> a strong kid and um, just kind of those heartfelt things that you want parents want to see happen between their kids but it just you know it took the love of God to open that up in Evan's mind he even said dad I can't listen to any of my old music anymore because it was all um, you know concentrating on drugs and death and lying and he said I can't even listen to that it makes me sick so God had done such a touch had touched his heart and his mind in such a way that he was just wanting nothing but you know, Christ, nothing but God in his life. I got involved in the church. I went to start coming to True Life. Like, I've never been involved in the church before, so it was really neat to, like, start, like, to get into the community. I reached out to young adults. I went to young adults. Met Justin. He was a great mentor. Like, gives me amazing advice, like, amazing friends. Like, just blessing on blessings. He blessed me with a girlfriend. Like, love of my life. Like, I've been able to share, like, a relationship, like, in Jesus with, which I've never experienced before, like, intimate level. This links back to me being upset when he was being taken to the, the short-term psych ward. He said when he came home, I'm so thankful that I was transferred there. He said because I was not ready to give anything up. Yeah, he said I would have gone, gone right back. Out. He said I would have gone right back to the, our, our house in Little Egg and I would have gone right back to what I was doing. He said God wasn't done with me yet and I'm so thankful that I got to do that. And so now I'm... I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't see, I didn't know your plan. I didn't trust your plan. Your plan was to not leave him and until he was fully changed and committed. And Yeah, and, um, and you know, personally, uh, I've kind of changed the way and allowed myself to be more, to lean into the church and lean into um, the life groups and the men's group that I've been with. And it, it's been a, 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 it's been a year mm -hmm. of real growth. Um, our family growth for Amy and I, and uh, certainly an amazing change in growth in Evan. Once I, like, I found Jesus, I was like, I'm never going back to how I was before. Um, like, why would I want to leave? What he offers is like pretty much uncomparable to anything else. powerful, right? God causes all things to work together for good. Let's look at it one more time. We put that up, up on the screen. We know, we know. Can we say this? Can we, we know. We know that God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Oh, what a promise. Let's stand. And Ben, you guys can come on up here. We're going to spend some time uh, responding to this in worship and, and also in prayer. Um, there's some folks from our prayer team who are going to be available. Uh, a couple are going to be down front, and we're also going to try something different. We have a couple in the back, the far back, if you're more comfortable going in the back to pray with someone. Those of you who said you're available, can, can a couple of you guys come up front, either side of me, and a couple in the back? Um, you choose whatever, you're, whatever you prefer. So Josh and Joni will be down here.
Um, I think Stephen Jess will be in the back. If you need prayer, if you want prayer, Pastor Rigo, would you be down front? For what? What kind, what kind of things are they going to pray for? Take a guess. All things. <laughs> All things. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're going through. Because anything. We're saying, God, use this, work through this. Now, for God to do that, right, Dan and Amy talked about them partnering with God in prayer. God has ordained that our prayers change things. So as he's causing all things to work together for good, he's inviting us to partner with him in prayer to that end. And so that's why we're going to pray. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you're going through something, some kind of nonsense, some kind of screw up, you're dealing with consequences from a mistake you made, you're dealing with some kind of pain, these guys are going to pray for you. Pray that God takes it away. Pray that God, in the midst of it, uses it to conform you to the image of Jesus. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you feel like God's trying to pull you in like he was with Evan this past year, like he was doing with Evan, pull him in, pulling him in. I want to invite you to come be prayed over because it doesn't matter how old you are. You could be 80 years old and you've been rejecting Jesus all your life. At 80 years old, you give your life to Jesus and guess what happens? Everything that happened in your life up to that point gets put in the bucket of all things work together for good now. Before they didn't. And now all of a sudden, they're within God's story and they're being worked together for your good. So it's never too late. And maybe you're here, maybe you're here and you're, you got a loved one who's where Evan was. And you're in the position of where Dan and Amy were. We have no control and all we can do is pray. Well, you get to pray. You get to pray. If you're a mama or a daddy or a son or a daughter or a friend of somebody, you want to come pray for that person in your life. These guys will partner with you in doing that. Okay? So again, we've got Josh and Joni over here. We've got Pastor Rigo over here. We've got Steve and Jess in the back. I'll be available in the back. That's all I got. Let's, let's sing and worship. <laughs>